0: Tim, if this is your first time here, I'm glad that you're here with us today. Um, you heard from Dave a, a little bit ago, there are connect cards that should be like right in front of you, or you might have grabbed one actually um, while, you, while you were coming in. Fill that out, and like if you missed the opportunity while you were up, the plates were passing and such, like come find me, come bother me, tackle me, I'll take your connect card. Why do we do that? It's not just to like have a record of like people that are coming here and such. Um, it's so that I can bother you at four a.m. <laughs> pounding on your door, asking what can I do for you. Seriously, it's a way for us to get to know you and love you and pray for you and learn how to best serve you. Mm-hmm. Now, you got a Bible with you? I hope you do. Open up to Galatians two twenty. Galatians 2.20. Tim, that's just one verse. Did you transform into into John MacArthur? What happened? Um, No, but we are hanging out in one verse for four weeks. Why? Because this verse is magnificent. Uh, We might say that it's, it's pregnant with truth. Each word leads us to even greater and greater truth about our Lord Jesus. Galatians 2.20. If you're using a pew Bible, it's in page 972. While you're flipping there, Angela Duckworth was a, uh, well, not was, she is a psychologist. And she wrote in 2016, she wrote a book called Grit where she was interested in learning why some people succeed in accomplishing their goals and other people don't. Are there any goal setters in here today? No one? Yeah. Mm, okay, <laughs> fair enough. I, uh, I found that if I don't set a goal, I really don't do a whole lot with it. And so this is an interesting It's not the Bible, but she came to some interesting conclusions. Ultimately, the reason why people accomplish the thing that they're setting out towards is for two reasons. One, that there's a passion that burns deep inside of them. But two, that passion, it it makes them want to persevere when the going gets tough, when trials come their way, when stuff just gets hard. There's passion and then there's perseverance. So what is the difference? Goodness, it makes all the difference with like the GOAT, Michael Jordan, and the so-called best of all time, like LeBron James. Why is Michael Jordan just better? I would say because he's just grittier, okay? LeBron James fans, you need to rest with that and and, and deal (laughs) with the reality of this. You know that I'm not a sports guy. You, you're, you're painfully aware of this now um, as I'm still leaning into like 1990s basketball analogies, right? But I'm trying to deal with like becoming a baseball fan, okay? A friend of mine is a Colorado Rockies fan. What was the game last night? What did the score? What, in the fourth inning, it was 23 to zero. Wow. That's a blowout. Um, goodness gracious. Why would someone want to persevere and be passionate about the Colorado Rockies? They're longing for a day to, what? what is it when, when people win like the championship or World Series? They get a trophy? Is it a pennant? What do they do? They're, they're longing for that, right? The, the one like day, hopefully, my poor friend that's a Colorado Rockies fan, he's hoping that they might <laughs> overcome incredible adversity. And like actually win a championship. That's a hard time. It's the reason why fighting couples or parents stay together. It's the reason why people go to their jobs even though they hate their jobs. It's People have this stick in them. I think inherently at least when it comes to some things. We don't always quit everything that we Hate, there might be actually something inside of us that wants to move forward in life. But passions change. And circumstances change. People change dramatically over time. Michael Jordan couldn't play basketball all of his life. The Colorado Rockies might not always exist as a baseball team. People end up not staying married. People might not be employed at the same job. For Christians, on the other hand, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we have a brand new vocation, or rather our old vocation is renewed. That is, you and I were created to give worship and glory to God. And through what Jesus has done for us, he's renovated our hearts and introduced us to knowing God as Father. And so the original reason why you and I were created is now actually possible because of what Jesus has done. The book of Galatians is all about the gospel of Jesus. When you read in the very beginning of it, Galatians 1, it is about getting the gospel right. It's saying, if you add to the gospel, let him be cut off or anathema, or accursed. Let him be cut off from the body of Christ. Let him be accursed. He he actually isn't teaching truth. So let him be pushed far from God because like it's actually showing from his heart that he doesn't understand what the gospel is, regardless if it's an angel or another preacher or even Paul himself. There's nothing that we can do to add to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. So that sinners can be forgiven. Then when you go all the way to the end of Galatians. You get another picture of it. What is it? While we don't add to the gospel of Jesus. We don't take away from it either. You read Galatians 5. What's he say? Anyone who has fits of rage. Jealousy. Sexual morality. Paul has a heavy word for them. He says, anyone who does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's heavy. So we don't take away from the gospel and we don't add to the gospel message either. How do we live it then? Galatians 2.20 over the next four weeks is going to help us develop gospel grit. When the going gets tough and we want to walk away or we want to abdicate or we feel weak or insecure or we're overly anxious or we feel unduly guilty and ashamed of what we have done, we're going to see from Galatians 2.20 how Jesus gives us grit to be able to move forward. So if you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word today? You're not hearing from me. We're hearing from God's word today. I'm going to start from verse 15. And once we get to verse 20, would you read that out loud for me? Starting in verse 15, just for the sake of context, this is what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia and to you and me today this morning. This is what God's word says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do that makes us acceptable or on friendly terms with God other than what Jesus has done. We're not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I find myself running back to old patterns of life, I find over and over again, I need to be rescued over and again still. Don't you? I don't need to just be rescued once. I need Jesus to be always and forever my rescuer. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I live live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. Four weeks, Galatians 2.20, gospel grit. How do we persevere? How do we push on? How do we live faithfully in this world today? Galatians 2.20, that first clause there that reads, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at today you're taking notes, Mark, thank you for the beautiful handout with an outline on it. It's wonderful. The first thing you'll notice is the the main idea. It reads Jesus, our victor. Jesus is our victory. The reason why I'm able to be faithful, the reason why I'm able to march forward in faithfulness is because Jesus actually accomplished what he set out to do for me. Your rescue is completely dependent upon what Christ has done. And so if you've been around church circles and Christian circles for some time, this is going to feel like old hat for some of you. Martin Luther said this, though, when he was confronted by someone asking him about the gospel. Why do you keep bringing it up over and over again in your sermons? And he says this, the reason why I keep preaching the gospel to you is because you forget it. The very thing that we base our life and breath upon is the very thing that we're quick to abandon when trials come. I need to be reminded over and again. Do you? I know, I know I do. When I fail or when I succeed, I need to be reminded of Jesus's grace for me. And I don't need just reminders about, hear me carefully, Theology is really, really important. But in the nitty-gritty and the practical kind of stuff, if you've ever drowned before or almost drowned, when someone throws you a life jacket or a life preserver or, like, one of those, like, circle things, the inflatables, you're not asking, like, where, where did it come from? You're not asking about where was it made Is it going to hold me up? I'm hoping it holds me up. Like you're just grabbing for whatever is going to be able to sustain you in that moment, right? The weight of this can be kind of lost on us because of our familiarity with the truths in the Bible. Jesus actually saves us from a whole heck of a lot of stuff. So the weight of this can be lost on us. Listen to what Paul says, though. This is just the first clause again, right? He says, I have been crucified with Christ, period. I have been crucified with Christ. He's saying that there was a past event that happened in actual human history that affects how he lived in his own day. Sure, he came to faith probably just a few years removed from the resurrection, But he's writing to the Galatians now in probably 50 AD. He's writing saying, this thing that happened in the 30s, 2,000 years ago, it still affects me in a massive way today. And when we hear this passage, we might want to say that we're emulating or that we're following Jesus in some way, shape, or form. That's not what he's getting at here in this passage. It's not a call to crucifixion. You can find that all throughout the Gospels, like in Luke, when Jesus gives the gospel call to people, the call to discipleship is a call to die. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he takes up his cross and he follows him. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that something actually happened in real human history, and it impacts him personally. It impacts him massively. He says that I have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion, some of you are probably aware of some of the horrors that go into it it was reserved for the worst of the worst in the Roman Empire. The religious rulers wanted Jesus dead. So did Rome. Why not give this guy who's a troubler in Israel and in the Roman Empire, let's stake him to two pieces of wood. But that's not how he would die. He wouldn't die just because he was bleeding out as two metal pieces were pierced through his wrists. Some people might die from the shock that comes. He would die from a lack of oxygen, his body. He couldn't hold himself up, he couldn't breathe. He would push up to try to catch a breath, and he would come back down, and he would get tired all the more, and then he would expire. Paul is saying that he's crucified with Christ. Does it mean that Paul is actually dead or dying in this moment right now? Remember, he's a dude that's writing to a a couple of his friends in the church of Galatia. He's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. But he's clearly still living, isn't he? This is a problem if we're taking the Bible like word for word, literally. Literally. Physically, if he's not talking about actually dying physically in the moment, what is he communicating? That he is so connected and unioned with Jesus that the thing that Jesus did a couple of years ago actually applies to him today, spiritually. Spiritually. thing that Jesus did has now become his and so we can't not think about the crucifixion. Paul is saying since I have been crucified with Christ I think he might point the finger and say since you have been crucified with Christ this is what your entire life is based upon. We can't think about what Jesus did enough We can't be saddened and broken about the fact that the Lamb of God had come to take away the sin of the world enough. We can't celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, the incarnate God who created everything, came to liberate us enough. We can't stop worshiping him. We can't stop obeying him because of what he has done. We won't stop following him because of what he's done. It should have been me paying the penalty of my sin and disobedience or preference or prejudice or pride or lack of gentleness or whatever. It was Jesus that actually did that. Jesus stood in my place. Jesus expired in my place. Jesus did that for you. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way, but upon him, Jesus, God laid the sin of us all. Or 1 John 2, thanks be to God that we have an advocate in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become a propitiation or wrath bearer For us on our behalf or like Ephesians 2 says, Jesus has now come to rip the blindfold off of our eyes so that we can see clearly now what God has done for us so that we can see him in truth and spirit too. So then, if this is ours, how can I have it? How can I access it? How can I always walk in this? Sometimes when we talk about Jesus, I think we think of him more like a bakery than we do a bunker. Tim, what do you mean by that? I'm a, my wife used to bake a lot, and now she doesn't. And so now I'm incredibly sad about this, right? And so... Um, focaccia bread is like some of the best stuff on the planet that might have been what manna was as the Israelites were wandering through the desert I don't know, I hope so Um, but if I wanted to go get a really tasty like loaf, square, whatever it is of focaccia, where would I go? I would go to a bakery, perhaps Panera Bread or as it's called here, the bread company, right? If I want tasty cupcakes, I I know I don't need them I'm going to go to a bakery though. Like that's, that's where I'm going to go. I can go to the store and give an exchange of goods and then walk out with what I intended to buy. You following me thus far? I think we think of Jesus like that rather than a bunker. We think of Jesus as a place that we can go to get what we need from him and walk along our merry way instead of thinking of him like a bunker a place of security, a place of rest. One of my friends, God love him, is building a bunker right now. Not like right now, but like, he's got plans, he's investing in this, he's a bit of a prepper. Um, do you have friends that are preppers? They can be a bit of ex- you know, a little extreme, I love them. He's one of my best friends. Um, And I kind of laugh about it. Like, do do, do you really think all of this is necessary? Stocking up cans of food in a concrete building? Is this really necessary? Of course, I would be the one saying that until the world starts to fall apart. And then I'm gonna wanna be in the bunker that my friend is making. You get what I'm saying? I have a basement right now, praise the Lord. And there are apparently tornadoes that happen around here. (laughs) I don't want to be in my car when a tornado's spooling up. No, I want to be in the safest place possible, right? I don't get the benefits of safety and security unless I'm inside, unless I'm hidden. An old dead guy, Jonathan Edwards, he said it like this. One day, the wrath of God is going to cascade upon the earth in such a way that even the strongest demon in hell would not be able to push back against its waves. I don't need help. I need security. I need safety. When Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he is saying that he is hidden in such a way that when wrath would come his way, he's actually absolved from it. Like Jesus actually hides him from it. Are you crucified with Christ? Are you hidden in Christ in such a way that you can say, Jesus' crucifixion, though it happened to him, it might as well have happened to me because all of my stuff is nailed onto him. Is that you? The rest of the world thinks it's silly and dumb and maybe even immoral to think that there would be a man that would be staked to two pieces of wood on behalf of sinners. This is not a loss for Jesus, though. This is the win. If there was ever a win, it's here. It's in the cross that we see Jesus not as a helpless victim, but in God's economy, we see him as conquering king, invincible and matchless. What does he say to Pilate when he's being tried? I lay my life down freely. What a stud! Right? What a courageous Jesus he is. And so as a matchless king, a victorious king, we get to see four different ways, I think, in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. um, We get to see four ways in which this victory is mapped out for us. Firstly, it is in the power of Satan. Jesus dethrones Satan's rule here and now. But you might be thinking, Tim, this is, um, when I look around the world right now, it still feels very much like Satan is in control of our schools, um, universities, even my, even my doctors, um, where, where, where do they, where do they go? Doctor's office. It seems like Satan is in control of absolutely everything and everywhere. 1 John 3, 8 says something to the contrary, though. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do the first time he came, and he does this through the cross. He takes the sting and even the power out of what Satan is able to do here and now. And when you give the gospel away to people, it is melting the blindfold off of their eyes so that they can see the truth. But that's not all. There there are a couple other ways too. The presence of sin, the power of sin, that it holds over us, and even the penalty of sin itself. Jesus conquers these three things as well. How could we illustrate this though? How many of you ate cookies today as you were coming in? Praise God for delicious chocolate chip or white macadamia nut, not that oatmeal raisin nonsense. (laughs) If you ate one of those, we're going to have church discipline shortly after. Karen, you're coming to the carpet in just a moment, okay? So how many of you feel okay so far after eating those cookies? Oh no, what just happened? feel all right so far don't you so far so good no one's bolting to the door imagine you were a host you want to have some friends over and you thought the best way to show love uh, was the same way I thought to show love and that was to bring some really tasty cookies to your friends they're coming over uh, you don't have a lot of time but you think that you have everything that you need for it don't you You got flour, check, butter, check, toll house, chocolate chips, and nothing else. (laughs) Check, we're good so far. And then you're running through the list and then you go into the refrigerator and you're met with a really strong choice now. You don't know how long those eggs have been in your refrigerator. Do I use these or do I just scrap the entire project? They're gonna be over soon. I don't have enough time to go to the, to, the, to the grocery store. I don't have the swanners here right now to be able to give me another dozen eggs, right? What can I do? You risk it. You break open two eggs, and what was once a very happy aroma of baking is now filled with death. This is Gross. But they mix all right. <laughs> they mix all right in the, in the dough and, you know, who's going to know, right? You measure them out. You take your little ice cream scoop, plop them on the, on the cookie sheet, and then you put them into the oven. And it goes from bad to worse, right? Now it smells like like hot garbage, it's not great, your friends are coming in, and then they start to chow down on your cookies that you made, they looked fine. When I was making them, everything seemed okay, except for the, the smell, right? The only problem with it was what? It was, it was gross eggs. Thank you for letting me give a, a student ministry illustration for a moment. Um. If it weren't for those eggs, it would have been fine. Jesus has come to conquer sin. We know about the penalty of sin, how Jesus frees us from hell and the grave. One day, you and I, if we trusted in Christ, will be raised in brand new bodies that were purchased with his own blood. But that is a present reality that's experienced in the future. When Paul says in Galatians 5, instead, don't do the works of the flesh. Instead, experience and exhibit the fruit of the spirit. Jesus, even now, as you are crucified with him, you experience a brand new life because Jesus conquered your flesh. Notice something in the New Testament. There are several passages in the New Testament that talk about how we are to pray that God moves us or keeps us from evil or the evil one, depending upon what version of the Lord's Prayer you're, you're reading. And it even talks about how we can resist him, the evil one. There is no language like that, though, about our flesh, our old Nature. What is the language that Jesus or Paul or Peter uses of it? It is to crucify the flesh, it's to kill it. That's the language that the Bible uses in talking about how we need to deal with our old nature. And Jesus conquers that too. And ultimately, one day, we won't even have a hint of a bad attitude. Why? Because all sin will be eradicated one day. That is a hope for the Christian that will one day get to experience. But friends, you making really good cookies with really bad eggs still affects people. And there are really moral people that you're related to, that you work with. You might be here today and like, You might be one of the best dads in here, but you're outside of Jesus. You're not hidden in him. You can't say that the crucifixion is actually yours because you have not trusted in him. Rather, you have trusted in your work. So your old nature permeates every single decision, action, thought, desire that you have. And what Jesus wants to do is say, I'm going to make it like there are no bad eggs in you. And I'm committed to making you brand new. I'm committed to transforming you. I'm committed to making you win. Victory in four ways. Jesus conquers the power of Satan deals with the penalty of sin. He deals with the power of sin and the presence of sin as well. One day and finally. So friends, Galatians 2.20 is the entry point into the Christian life. You want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? This is where it starts. It's not just, this is good. You need to read this and you need to pray and you need to love your neighbor but the entry point to where all of this like makes sense is that you are crucified with Jesus because all of this is nothing without being unioned and hidden in him are you crucified with Jesus today tired of working at life all on your own. Maybe you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior before, but like going to a bakery instead of being hidden in a bunker, you keep coming back and forth only when stuff like really hits the fan. No part of our life, no part of our life, not one fraction of us can be hidden, like, apart from him. Instead, wholly and solely found in him shall we be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and thank you Oh God, thank you that we have shelter from the storm. We have a sure foundation and, and rescuer. We have a strong tower and his name is Jesus. We confess that to you. We confess our neediness to you. We confess our inability to you to be able to stand and walk along with you. We need help. Father, the old hymn goes, I need you every hour. Pray that we can pray that back to you as we think about the crucifixion and what you accomplished through it. Jesus, you are our king and we delight in joining you where you lead us to go. Pray for my friends in here, um, that you would meet them where they're at now. Pray that you would minister to them now. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, amen.